This is episode number 98 of the Church Collective Podcast. We're going to be doing some fun stuff over the coming weeks. We are focusing in on theology, and to kick it off, um, Miles Nelson and Adam Bilhanek had the chance to talk with Bob Coughlin, who wrote the book Worship Matters, who has some new stuff out, and man, they got into the heart of worship and the importance of theology and worship and an understanding of what God's doing in our services. There's so much stuff that we're going to break this up into two parts, so here we go with part one of our interview with Bob Coughlin. Reason this kind of this kind of came up is I actually picked up a copy of your new book, um, True Worshippers, and uh, had read your old your previous book, Worship Matters. Absolutely loved it, and picked up the new one. Oh, and so okay. as I was reading it, I was thinking, you know, maybe we should try to get Bob on the Church Collective podcast and talk to him about um, worship music and his ministry. And so it's kind of kind of where that came from. So as we as we kick things off here, I, I want to talk about your um, your book. I think this is probably the first. <laughs> interview we've done where uh, we've talked to somebody who's written a book. So uh, it'll be, uh, I think it'll be good. Oh, Adam, you said he keeps cutting out on you? Yeah. Okay. Maybe, you know what, let me kill my video and see if that clears up the quality any. Ryan can kind of cut this stuff out of the... uh, Good old Ryan. Yeah, let me uh, stop my video. (laughs) You can still hear me, right? Yeah, I can still hear you. Okay, cool. Bob, you can hear me? Oh, yeah? Okay, cool. And um, Bob sounds a lot better. Oh, okay, good. Good. Yeah, I don't need to look That's at funny. myself. So. That's fine. Um, all right, I'll kind of redo that uh, beginning part here. So, Okay, so we want to talk about your your book, uh, your new book that, you, uh, that just came out recently. And um, I think this is probably the first interview we've done where we've interviewed somebody who is a worship leader and um, also an um, author as well. So um, what I want to do is just go ahead and kind of run us through um, your, your newer book and maybe how it differs a little bit from uh, Worship Matters, which I think a lot of people have read, and kind of why how that book came about and why you wanted to write it. Sure. True Worshippers was the book that Crossway wanted me to write the first time I wrote a book. Hmm. Uh, and by that, I mean, it was suppo- I submitted a book proposal back in 2007 for a book that would, a book that would be broadly directed towards, uh, you know, people in the congregation, Christians in the congregation who maybe didn't quite know how to think about the word worship, the activity of worship. And so I wrote a book, and then I showed it to C.J. Mahaney, who's one of my dear friends, uh, my senior pastor was then, he is now. And uh, he said, you know, your audience is like so broad and diverse. It's like you got to focus this in on a particular audience. And so I did. I rewrote the book, probably two-thirds of it, and um, aimed it at leaders, those who plan and lead uh, corporate worship. So pastors musicians, uh, you know, even tech people, anybody who plans and, and oversees that. So about seven years later, actually maybe four or five years later, Justin Taylor from Crossway emailed me and said, hey, I think you could write that book that we originally asked you about. <laughs> I said, sure. And it's a funny thing. This book was a lot harder for me to write, even though it's, it's half as long. And it's aimed at people in the congregation. Uh, just trying to uh, help bring some definition, some biblical definition and clarity and, and hopefully some uh, exhortation and inspiration uh, as to what the worship that God is after looks like. 
what it is and what it looks like. Uh, so it's 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 written uh, more simply. It's written for someone in congregation, and uh, obviously contains some of the themes that were in worship matters. Uh, but it's definitely for just someone who's part of a church and you know, hears that word worship and maybe thinks, oh, that's the music. Mm-hmm. Um, and this book tries to to broaden that concept and make it more uh, biblical and Christ centered. That's great. Yeah, I, I've been <clears throat> I've been working through it. I'm about halfway <clears throat> halfway through it right now, and yeah, I've really been enjoying it. And I think you know, I I highly recommend you know Worship Matters. First of all, um, that's a book that I actually used with our college ministry here when I was a volunteer oh, with oh. A, with a couple leaders, and uh, really was a an awesome I think transformative time in in my leading and their leading as well. So thank you for that. It really really helped us, but. Um, yeah, this, this new one too, like you were saying, really, um, you know, written in a very accessible way, and um, I'm really enjoying it so far, and so that's for oh, all of those people thanks. who are, will be listening to this, want to highly recommend uh, picking up that book. Uh, where, so, um, Bob, where, where can people get uh, get the book? Do you have a preferred place people get this from, or just kind of anywhere? Amazon. Amazon's the best. Okay. Yeah, or Crossway. Uh Yeah. Amazon, if you have Prime, you get free shipping. <laughs> uh, yeah, I get it. Get it in what two days? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's it's sweet. No, and I um, I think yeah, it's probably the best place. Right on. So let's talk uh, Sovereign Grace music. Uh, so you've been doing kind of talk. Uh, when did that start, and how long have you been doing that? Well, Sovereign Grace music started thirty-two years ago. Um, so since the mid eighties, um, you know, as, as, as an entity, it's been around that long with that name. It's probably been since the mid nineties. So 20, is that 20 years now? Wow. Jeez. Time flies. Um, yeah. So we're a family of churches, some grace churches, about 75 churches, mostly in the United States, but we have a uh, church in Bristol, UK and Sydney, Australia, different Juarez, Mexico, Toronto, so different places. Um, we we started writing music early on just to serve our churches, uh, to to have songs that were kind of in line with some of the teaches, teachings we were receiving, and I think it's developed into um, uh, maybe a collective of songwriters in our churches whose focus is to provide oh, theologically driven, uh, gospel-centered um, mostly contemporary songs for the church to sing. So when, when people think about Sovereign Grace music, um, they're, it's not, um, how would I say it? They're, they're usually thinking, okay, that's going to have some pretty strong lyrics um, that, that are going to be, they're, they're meant to teach. You, you know, hopefully our songs don't sound teachy or didactic. You know, we, we bring in the emotional component, the subjective response component, as well, uh, but it's driven by by God's word. You know, God's word, God wor- God's words, God's worthiness, and that's that's what you'll find in most of our songs. That's great. Yeah, thanks for that. I know um, our our church here. Uh, we've used quite a bit of your guys' music over the years, and our the guy who's our worship pastor here um, is a, wow. enjoys your guys' stuff a lot, and. Um, so yeah, that's it's just really really neat to hear. You've been doing that for a long time. That's that's really cool. It's um, a long. 
What's that? <laughs> it's a long time. It's a long time, yeah. yeah. It's a long time. Hey, Adam, so I've, I mean, I've got a bunch of things, dude. I don't want to steamroll you. So if you've got anything, <laughs> feel free to pop in. I, I, you know, I, I just want to see where the conversation goes. I mean, um, you know, you've been doing this longer than the average person we interview. Um, so I feel like we've got a treasure trove uh, in front of us. You know, the, 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 you know, the, the, the box has been opened and the, and we're seeing the treasure. Um, <laughs> I, I, seriously, because, 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 you know, I mean, I've been, I've been leading worship for 15 years and that's not wow. a long time. And I don't have nearly the, the, the kind of the broad base that you have. And most people we interview don't. Um, and I, yeah. and I feel like, um, actually I'll, I'll just start with that. There's a disconnect between generations right now in the church, in, in, yeah. in large pockets of the church. Um, how, how do you feel as, as somebody that's been around a little longer, um, just if you could speak to that, connecting with uh, different generations, how how the younger worship leaders can honor and em- embrace uh, those who've been around longer, that that kind of thing. What we can, how we can learn, and how we can teach. Mm. Well, yeah, it's a hard question to answer because I think for generations to work together, you need humility on both sides. I do. I've done a lot of stuff with, with uh, younger guys. At, well, almost all of them are younger now. Um, I've been doing this with my two sons, and uh, both are pastors now. One of them in particular, I've I've done a lot of events with. That would be Devin. Um, And we, you know, we get along great. Uh, He's thirty-one, I think. Yeah, he'll be thirty-one next couple months. as a okay, so as an older guy, let me start there. Um, I need to realize that s- certain things that I've grown accustomed to are, are more preference than they are biblical, and I need to be aware of that. And for something that might move me really profoundly, might not move someone who's thirty years younger than me. And so, whether that be musically or a way of saying something, um, so I just I need to be open to that. You know, certainly the shift from 1950 to 1980 was was really dramatic. I mean, you didn't even have instruments in in the 50s that you had in the 80s. 80 to 2010, um, it's it's dramatic in the sense of there's a worship music industry now that didn't exist in 1980. So it, it's a, it's a the internet didn't exist in 1980. So I mean, it's it's a totally different you know ball field that we're playing on. Um, that being said, the most important things haven't changed. So, so as the older guy, I need to, to realize things, you know, what's preference and what's not. Um, certain practices I might have gotten into that I think, uh, you know, resonate with everybody the same way. Well, maybe they don't. I think younger guys, guys in their 20s and 30s, you know, need to recognize that you aren't the first generation to think about engaging with God, you know, as we sing. And that that's what really humbled me as I start to study the whole area of music and worship. It's like, okay, church has been doing this for a couple thousand years now. And there are people who are a lot more godly, a lot smarter, a lot more, you know, gifted and, and musically able than I am, who've been thinking about this stuff. Uh, what can I learn from them? 
so you know, in terms of one generation to another, I th think a younger guy needs to start there. It's not even just about those who are immediately over you. It's like the people who are dead. You know, <laughs> they have something to say, too. Um, then it's, I think, before you're going to critique and change what another generation has done, it's good to to engage with it, do it, and understand it. Then you can see better what really needs to be changed. Harold Best in his book, Music for the Eyes of Faith, says you really can't critique music unless you have gotten to the place where you can enjoy it and, and understand the dis distinctions. If you're just critiquing from the outside, uh, your, your critique's not going to be heard. Mm. It's valid because you can't distinguish uh, you know, what, what it is, what makes you know, a certain genre of music bad and what, what's, what makes it good. Um, so I think with a lot of young guys, they, they have this short-sightedness that can be disturbing um, in that, you know, it's only what I've heard the last 10 years that really matters. And it, we, we, every generation tends to magnify what, what your peers are currently doing. So, you know, it's all about what this church down on the street did. It's all about what this guy's doing on YouTube. It's all about what this guy, you know, did over in you know, LA and you know Dallas and and uh, you know we just want to broaden the the field from which we're drawing, uh, the palette from which we're painting, um, and that's where an older generation can help. Um, so I think if if younger generations humble and an older generations humble. You can both join together to focus on the things that really matter, things like enabling the word of Christ to dwell in people richly, you know, being being gospel centric, being gospel proclaiming in your songs, uh, making sure that, that the, the sound of the congregation is what is is really front and center, what's really magnified, what's really heard. So, so when a church gathers, it's not a performance, it's not a production. It's a time for participation. I had some guy ask me one time, what's the difference between singing at the congregation and singing to the congregation? And I said, well, I'm not sure there is much of a difference. I'm singing with the congregation. It's, it's like we're all in this together, and we're just providing leadership for you, but, but you don't need to be listening to me the whole time. What you should be doing is, is making music, making melody to the Lord with your heart, uh, you know, making, singing God's praise with all your soul, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're doing this together. Um, so if a younger generation appreciates that, an older generation appreciates that, you know, stylistic issues and, and methodologies really become just a means of serving those ends rather than a, a contest over, you know, which generation is going to win out. So those are some of the thoughts I have on I, I, I Kind of a follow-up to that, because you said, you know, uh, there's some that, that only kind of see the last 10 years. Uh, w with one of the other hats I wear here, I was reading over some BBS uh, material last summer, and one of the, the promotional materials said, whatever decade it is outside the walls, it should be that inside the walls of the church. Um, I'm, I'm curious what you, I've heard this sentiment echoed other places, uh, so I'm, I'm curious what you would say to that kind of statement. I think that I think it's well intentioned, and and I w would hope that what they're referring to is that, that you can communicate in a language that the people of your decade understand. But as far as like what we're aiming to ground people in, 
which is the gospel and the word of God, the authority and sufficiency of the word of God, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came, that Jesus came as the son of God, uh, you know, became flesh, took uh, our sins upon himself, suffered in our place as our substitute, endured the wrath of God for us so that so that for whoever trusts in him, their sins are paid for completely, and that he rose from the dead. I mean, those are the those are the big things, and those don't change. Nothing's going to be more impressive than the fact that Jesus died in my place and rose from the dead. And if 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 I'm communicating that in a way that's relevant to you know the 50s, well, yeah, that's not going to work in the 2010s. But but the message can't change. And the, the, I would say, the supremacy of the priority of the message can't change. Um, and it's always going to be a word-based ministry. That's, that's another thing that, that there's some, some dangers to that statement that if it's not defined, you, know, you can say, well, we live in a visual culture. So, you know, we've got to have a lot of visuals inside the church. I, I, I wouldn't agree with that. I'd say, uh, you know, the medieval ages was a medieval, was a visual culture. It was an illiterate culture, so they started doing passion plays around, and uh, the focus became, you know, the dramas and the art and the artistry, and they lost the gospel. And I think the same would be true today. If if we feed people's, you know, dependence on visual for understanding, we lose the the power of the preached word. Uh, the the, you know, the our faith is is one in which we see through our ears. We see by what we hear. And Paul says in Galatians that, you know, I clearly portrayed Christ to you. He's not talking about putting up a video. Of course, they didn't have videos. He's not talking about putting up a picture. He's talking about the proclamation of the word. So it's, so, you know, that, that statement would have to be clarified a little bit. You know, in, in one sense, I agree with it totally. But in another sense, uh, I go, well, let's make sure we're talking about the same things. Yeah, that's some really good insight, uh, Bob. Thanks for that, because I think that is a sent, uh, sentiment that a lot of people <clears throat> do do have. Adam, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, where a lot of a lot of focus is put on relevance, which act, without really defining what the end goal is. Um, yeah. You know, and just like, hey, we need to do this, and and like you were saying, Bob, we need to do this because you know Church X is doing this type of music, or we need to go here, and um, I think that's. That can be that can be beneficial, but also it can be dangerous when you just do something for the sake of doing it without thinking about the the substance of it. Um, so I think that that's really that's really helpful uh, insight. Um, what you were what you were just sharing there, I think that was that's really good. Kind of kind of dovetailing off of that, um, Adam, were you going to say something? No, uh, oh, go for it. Sorry. Okay. Um, can we take this a conversation? I don't have to do monologues. You can. Talk. Okay. Yeah, well, I think this this will it'll kind of get. I think we can do more conversational here. I think is kind of where we're going. Um, as as we're, you know, thinking about as we just been talking about worship music and you know people are kind of looking to other churches to figure out how to model things. You know, you've been around just worship music in the church in general for um, quite a while, and you've seen a lot of trends and changes and things. Kind of where do you see, and, and Adam, you can hop in on this too, and we can kind of make this more conversational, but where do you see kind of the future of modern worship music maybe maybe heading as a trend, and where would you like to see it go? 
where I see it heading as a trend is okay. I'll just I'll give you a negative and a positive. I think negatively, it's um, uh, tends to be overly dependent on two things, and those would be experience and technology. Um, we we talk about a worship experience. There's just not a lot of talk in the Bible about a worship experience. You know, worship is response to God's self-revelation in ways that he's enabled and in ways that magnify his glory in Christ by the power of the Spirit. That, that's what <clears throat> worship is. Worship is, you know, God inviting us into the, the fellowship that Father, Son, and Spirit have shared from all eternity. So in our, you know, overly saturated technological experiential age, <laughs> Uh, I think we can tend to focus on those things. So people talk about the wow moment in worship. Um, the wow moment is anytime someone gets a clear picture of who Jesus is and what he's done. That's the wow moment. And, uh, you know, if we're trying to create it in some other way, we're misleading people. So, uh, so you know, sometimes I think there are settings, uh, as I've been to churches or you know, seeing things on YouTube. I do a lot of just poking around on YouTube, see what people are doing. Um, you know, th there seems to be this this hunger for an experience right now, and I think God gives those experiences. But but it's important, you know, why we're seeking them and what the object of our our hunt is, our our pursuit is. Um, you know, so, for instance, as people talk about chasing God, you know, we're, we're chasing God. And in one sense, again, okay, that's good. You know, pursue God. Um, you, you know, we run the race and <clears throat> those kind of things. But in another sense, and I think a more important sense is God's not running from you. He came to us in Jesus Christ. He revealed himself. He became one of us. So that there will be no barrier between us. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, the holy places that only the priest could enter once a year. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. So, you know, we don't have to... Per chased after him. He's come to us. Let's mm. celebrate it. Let's let's be amazed. So the experience technology thing, I think that's that's a uh, uh, that's a bad trend. Um, but then on the positive side, because there's this worship music phenomenon, people have thought a lot more about you know what this is we're doing. And they've realized it's not just music. It's not just the meeting. It's it's all of life. So you know, a lot more books have been written on worship in the last 30 years than in the last, you know, 100. Um, and that's that's been really good. So I think that we're getting a lot of great songs. I think uh, that leaders are starting to realize the insufficiency of, you know, just having a good voice and being able to play guitar. You really need – you're pastoring people. You know, when when you stand up in front of people – that's a that's a pastoral role. It's a shepherding role. And a lot of questions are being asked about how can we do this better? Um, uh, how, how can we do it, you know, in a way that really benefits the church? 
I think across the board, a lot more songs are being written about who Jesus is and, and what he's done. I mean, you take a look at the Hillsong repertoire of the last 15 years. It's changed pretty significantly. Um, in turn, you know, so that a, a song like Man of Sorrows comes out, that's a clear articulation of you know, substitutionary atonement, the sin of man and wrath of God have been on Jesus laid. That's so important to know. It's so important to remember. Now my debts are paid. Now my, I can't remember. Debt is paid. Uh, is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Um, that's great news. That's the power of the gospel. Uh, so that's that's really that's been an encouraging trend. Yeah. Thank, thanks for your your insight on that too. I think you know I, I see similar things in that where. Um, you know, in our, our, my church that I attend and, you know, work at is not, uh, we're, we don't really lean towards that kind of experiential kind of worship yeah. thing. Yeah. And I didn't really grow up with that either. Um, mm. and so, and so when I see that kind of out there or I have, you know, friends with churches that way, and, um, it is something that I sort of, you know, take a step back from for, for a moment and try to evaluate and, you know, like you said, there are there are can be good things about it, but there's also a danger in, you know, focusing on the like, did you experience God at church today through, you know, through music or, um, and I think people can put too much emphasis on music, you know, and I've we've had plenty of people leave our church because of music and, huh. you know, and so it's like that sort of that thing. I just didn't feel it or I wasn't feeling the. You know, I wasn't feeling the Holy Spirit in in the music or, you know, whatever people want to call it. And I think that that experience driven thing can play into that where people sort of have a mis, misinformed idea of what worship actually is for uh, in, yeah. the, in the church. And um, I kind of want to talk about, you know, st- stylistically. So something something we do here at, at our church, and not not every every church, you know, churches are all over the map stylistically, um, and kind of what we do here is we do sort of a blended kind of balance contemporary and traditional a little bit, and that's just sort of where our congregation's at. We have eighty year olds and eight year olds in the same service, yeah. worshiping. Real so, church. where how do you at you know with with your church how do you approach kind of the the balance of you know, traditional style, contemporary style, hymns, praise songs. How do you how do you work through that? There's so much stuff out there. You guys are writing stuff. How do you balance and kind of ride that stylistic line? That's a great. I, you know, I don't know if I think that much about style. Only to say that, like, I don't go to Christian radio or the latest releases or even CCLI to determine what we're going to do. Um, I think about what the songs say. So uh, for songs that that you know say particular truths, doctrinal truths, because you know, Colossians three sixteen says we're to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. So that's what we're trying to do. Mm. Um, so you know there may be a song that's contemporary that comes out and you go, wow, this this really does this well. It says this thing well. Well, great. I'd do that. You know, I think Matt Redman writes some of those songs. I think, um, uh, you know, what do we do? Uh, well, like the Hillsong song. You know, I, I, I'm not doing that song um, because it's 
by Hillsong. I'm doing it because it so clearly articulates um, the power of the gospel. And it's, it has a melody that everybody can sing. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about the generational difference, uh, Ephesians 5 talks about how we're to make melody in our heart to the Lord. Well, that's not just that we're to be silent, you know, making melody in our heart. We're, we're making melody in our heart. It's coming out in our voices. But that, that concept of having a melody, I think, is really important. Melodies are what enable people to sing together. And if you don't have melodies that an eight-year-old and an 80-year-old can sing together, well, maybe you should look for some different songs. Mm. Because I think what happens too often in churches, Miles, is that, I think it was, Miles, did you ask me this question? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is that, is that um, you know, we sing, we, we pick songs that divide the congregation. Mm. Our songs should help people express their unity in the gospel. So that means there are going to be some you know, maybe great songs that would work well in a, maybe a college ministry, then I'm not going to do in my church. Maybe I shouldn't even do them in my college ministry. Because I want, I want everybody in the church to understand, hey, it's not just about your generation. It's about all of us together. And we can find songs that everybody can sing together. And I found that when you make the focus the lyrical content, you know, what the song actually says, people are much more forgiving about style. You know, older people can do younger songs, younger people can do older songs because they're, they're drawn to the truth that we're singing and not just by, you know, the way the song's being done. Mm. Yeah, that is great. That is, that's really, really helpful. Uh, That's, that's something that I feel like, you know, I, I agree with you on that, where the content, um, you know, the song has needs to stand on its own. Yeah. Um, if, if you yeah. can't strip away the music and it's still worth singing, then, you know, it's not worth singing in the first place. Um, you got problems. <laughs> right. You got problems. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, but I think even like you mentioned stylistically, you know, there's maybe a song that would be good for a college ministry, but not for the whole um, for the whole church and even trying to figure out a melody really plays into it. That's something I haven't really, you know, even thought about before is, okay, you've got the, the lyrics, you know, first and foremost, but then even beyond that, is this something that everyone can easily latch onto and sing? And for, yeah. the, for those, you know, out there that are writing music, you know, are you writing it in a way that's singable, not just something that you think sounds good, but is actually accessible. Um, which I think yeah. is a, a critique a lot of people can have about worship music is that maybe it's too simple. But at the same time, a lot of music that you just hear out there isn't meant for you know hundreds of people to be singing along to and to learn and you know a couple hearing it a couple times. Think, well, that, that's part of the yeah. problem of that's part of the problem. Like you were saying about YouTube, is that a, a church in um, in San Francisco or in Manhattan gets a lot of exposure on YouTube or uh, you know over Spotify or something, and then yeah. people try to yeah. ramp shoehorn. Um, you know, where I live, it's it's like uh, there are things that make a lot of sense at a church in Berkeley that would make very little sense <laughs> 30, 30 minutes north <laughs> where I live. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so true. Yeah, yeah, it's so, very true. I have a question. I think. Oh, yeah, go, no, go for it. Yeah, Bob, go ahead. Well, yeah, 
say we can overstate. There's been a lot of conversation about contextualization. I think if you press that that concept too far, uh, you, you you get you get into weird places. You know, contextualize our music. Well, yeah. You mean you've done a survey of like everybody who lives in your area, and you determine the the most you know the music that most faithfully represents the musical preferences of everybody in your culture or everybody in your in your community. I don't know if we could do that. I mean, at least in Western music, there's some pretty common you know universal principles in terms of what a large group of people can sing. And it's, it's generally captured in folk music, you know, um, songs that everybody can sing, you know, uh, young kids, middle-aged, old kids. And it's just not so much tied to what's on the radio right now as is, you know, does this, does this melody complement these words? You know, does it rise at the right place? Does it, you know, does it stay calm at the right place, you know, those kinds of things that, you know, whether you're Hispanic or, or Asian or American or African-American, you know, there's going to be some things that are, are basically similar. So I, I just uh, caution guys against uh, thinking, you know, oh, we're going to contextualize and so that someone from Boise, Idaho can't come into your church and, you know, know what's going on. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that's, that's a really good point. Yeah. I think if you yeah. are in a place where that's possible, it's okay to recognize that you are the massive exception and, and not yeah. the rule. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. You know, I, I have, I have a friend who, who pastors in, in the, the hip hippest of hip neighborhoods in, in Seattle and, uh, and all this go. stuff that they're doing only works in a 20 block radius. And they, they're very aware of it, you know, um, and, and so, and, and, and it, and it makes sense to do what they're doing there, but they don't try to export it. And I appreciate that about them. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's good. But I think the question you got to ask though is, is our church just for these 20 blocks? And if it is great, you know, yeah. most churches I know go beyond that. Um, but if you do have a place where that's working, then that's great. And although, <laughs> you know, the church is broader than my 20 blocks. So even if I'm in a place, you know, where, where one particular kind of music is really well known, I would want to train the church to, to, the, you know, to understand that, hey, we come from, a, you know, hundreds of years of hymnody. And it's okay to, to think about that as well. So that when they go outside our context, they don't, they're not thinking things like, oh, I can't worship God here, you know, because it's not like the way we do it at home mm. kind of stuff. Just trying to, yeah, just yeah. guard again, like that. That's it for this week's episode. As always, if you could head over to iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us become more visible over there. We're going to follow up with part two of this next week. Also look for a episode of Ask the Collective this week that's going to be really, really cool where some of our contributors talk about where we think worship is going in the next five or ten years. And I think you'll be surprised with what we say. God bless you today.